Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 4th, 2021, we bring you a special Independence Day sermon by Pastor Mark Ewell titled, Dual Citizenship. Enjoy. We are here celebrating 245 years of independence from England, and it's good that we celebrate that. But when you think about independence, there's a little bit of paradox there because as followers of Christ, we don't really celebrate independence. As Tim was saying, we are completely dependent upon Jesus for that which we enjoy. We're completely dependent upon him. How about the paradox of freedom? You know, again, in our country, freedom is fragile, it's valuable, and we should celebrate the fact that people have fought long and hard to have freedom and to keep freedom. But the paradox of freedom is that that's not the greatest standard of measurement. The greatest standard, according to Jesus, is just the opposite. He said, if you want to be great, you need to be last, and if you want to be the best of all, you need to be a slave to all. So what is it? Is it freedom or is it being a slave? And then finally, our, our government itself. You know, our government, as citizens, we have the opportunity and the privilege to vote for those that would represent our, our, ourselves in government. And yet as believers in Christ, we have something far different than a, than a Republican democracy. We serve a sovereign absolute sovereign, I know that's redundant, but a sovereign king, the king, the king of all kings. And it's to his name that we bow and try as some might to push him out of office or to disavow that which he has set up, our king reigns and he will never be off of his throne. So we're in a little bit of a conundrum here on this holiday. Do we celebrate all of these independence, all of this freedom, all of this government? Or on the other hand, do we celebrate those things that we hold of value as believers? Well, here's the answer. Dual citizenship. Now, I need to explain that a little bit because as we were talking about that in our staff, when we think dual citizenship, we think equal. But the citizenship that we're going to be talking and focusing on tonight is not equal with the the citizenship that we enjoy as citizens of this good old U.S. of A. We're going to see something very, very basic that I want to be as kind of the foundation of all that we'll talk about tonight. And that is this. As citizens of heaven, that's our highest priority of citizenship. And yet it's those things that we hold as citizens of heaven that can impact everything that we are about as citizens of the United States. And now let's face it, as Tim said, our country is divided. It feels broken. It feels like it's going in a lot of different directions. And now more than ever, as citizens of heaven, you and I have the responsibility. We've got the privilege of being different and influencing that which happens around us. So tonight I'm excited to talk about our citizenship of heaven and how it impacts our citizenship in the United States of America. Now I don't know where she is, but uh, last week I had a chance to talk with my dear friend Vika. Vika Tuanaki is here. She's actually, uh, look at there. 
I was telling Vika about uh, my upcoming sermon, and I said, uh, Vika, you're a, you're a citizen of, of uh, Tonga? But she's becoming a citizen of the United States. So I said, you're the perfect person to tell me about this. What's involved in becoming a citizen of the United States? And she described a very lengthy process. To see if I could quote, you said, oh, Mark, this is not an easy thing. First of all, you have to have somebody sponsor you to come into the United States so you can establish your residency. Then you need to be able to learn uh, to read and write um, English. You need to understand American history. You need to understand the Constitution of the United States. And I know that there's many of us right now that are thinking we wouldn't pass. And that's not all. She had to submit character references. And they check up on these character references. And then after all that, you have to pass a written test. And only after all that is done can you swear your allegiance to the United States of America and become a citizen of the United States. Without me even prompting Vika, you said it so well. She said, it is so much easier to become a citizen of heaven than it is to become a citizen of the United States. And I couldn't have said it any better. So tonight, we're gonna talk about what it takes to be a citizen of heaven. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of things as we go, but we'll save the majority of that to the end. But I wanna focus in on what are the, the responsibilities and what are the influences that we can have as citizens of heaven with three primary things. The first is this, because we are of a different realm, let's reorient our citizenship. Because we're of a different realm, or if you wanna use the word home, you can, let's reorientate our citizenship. We just got through studying the book of Philippians. And in that book, Paul writes this very short and direct fact. Our citizenship, if you're a believer in Christ, is in heaven, and from it we, we await a savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an incredible truth. You see, the very moment that we place our faith in Jesus, our passport changes. It changes from the red, white, and blue to whatever, con whatever colors heaven represent. And we are now have a passport that's stamped citizen of heaven. And that passport changes everything. As great as this country is, from the mountains to the prairies, from the oceans white with foam, if you're a believer in Christ, this is not our home sweet home. We've got a better one. And so let me read to you a passage that talks about that. It's from the book of Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews would put it this way, referring to some of those people of faith that have died in the past, he writes this about the two different realms. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged, catch this, that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, 
They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, I know there's a lot in that passage, so I'm gonna give you three words to hang your hat on in this passage. Three easy ways to remember what this passage is telling us. The first is found right in it itself. It's the word acknowledge. We need to reorient our citizenship by acknowledging that this world is not our home. We've got a better home, and we need to acknowledge that. We need to embrace the fact that God has something far, far better than what we're experiencing here. And too often, we can get so wrapped up in this world and get tied up in knots about the condition of which we see things, and that's just not right for citizens of the heavenly realm. Those that don't acknowledge the fact that this is not our home hold on to this world too tightly. And when we hold on to things too tightly, it's troublesome for citizens of heaven. The second word to help us reorientate is the word anticipate. And I get this based on what Hebrews said, it's the promise of what is to come. It's greeting from afar. It's desiring the better country. And our heavenly citizenship is based on God's promise of what is yet to come, heaven. And some of us can reorient our citizenship here by having a better anticipation for what's to come for this earth's short-term attractions are nothing to be desired. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, we are creatures that have desires that are not too strong, but actually our desires are too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it would be meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. <clears throat> we are far too easily pleased. As you take a look around at your behavior, your attitudes, do you find a little mud on your hands? Do you find yourself just getting too wrapped up and too easily pleased by going after all this stuff that's here? You know, I, I ran across uh, a gentleman this week, a good friend of ours whose who's, uh, mom died. And as I talk with him, he pointed out exactly these two words. He said, you know, Mark, this has just showed me again that life is so short here and that my mom is in a much better place. I had a chance to spend a, a few hours with a really good friend of mine, a mentor in the, in the commercial real estate world that I used to live in and uh, then as a pastor, a guy by the name of Tom Schrader. And it was his, it was, he died the next day. And he said, Mark, he said, through all of the struggles, and he'd gone through a lot of physical struggles in the last few years, he said, I'm just ready to go home. And he was anticipating what was ahead of him. 
So we would be much better citizens of this world as we understand that we're not of this world, we're the realm of heaven. And we should acknowledge that and anticipate what's ahead. But here's a third word. It's the word act, A-C-T, act. You see, if we really do acknowledge that this is fading away, if we really did anticipate that which, would, which is ahead of us, we would act differently. Listen to how Paul would write this. I don't have it up on the screen, uh, but it's from 2 Corinthians chapter four. Let me read it to you. And listen to how Paul anticipates, how he acknowledges our current condition, and then how he calls for action. He says, we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles that we will see will soon be over. But the joys to come, they will last forever. For we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, in other words, when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Boy, I think that's what gave Paul the power to do all that he did. He acknowledged that, hey, this, this, we're living in tents. This, this is tent living right here. And some of us have some real old tents going on right now with a <laughs> lot of wrinkles. The pegs have been pulled out. But God's got something so much better in store. In fact, let me use that as a little teaser for you. Coming up, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, we're going to start a four-week four series on the afterlife. And we're gonna be talking about what heaven is like from the scriptures, not conjecture about what people in Hollywood might think, but what does God's word have to say about heaven? So if you want some real tangible, some in-depth stuff, man, I gotta invite you back for that series. It's gonna be wonderful. But again, acting. Uh, Alistair Begg, a pastor that I enjoy listening to because he's from Scotland, says it this way. As citizens of heaven, we should be the ones who um, act and make a difference. For the people who have had the most impact on the here and now are the ones that have had the clearest focus on the there and then. And that's how to reorient your, your citizenship. Well, here's the second point. Because we submit to God's authority, let's respect all and work for unity. Now, we've got to admit it. As, as Tim said, and as was pointed out from an article in today's newspaper, our country is divided. Perhaps more than maybe since the Civil War, we're divided over just about everything from politics to masks to vaccines and you name it. Here's how this, this article uh, is, is acknowledging that. The author says, you don't have to look far to see division within America or within American Christianity. We're still divided over the 2000 election, racial justice, even wearing face masks. And then she goes on to say that, I'm emphasizing that Christians are too often known for what we're against rather than what we're for. Too often we celebrate division to show that we practice the purest form of Christianity. And that's not good. 
And then she concludes this article this way, the world is watching us. For the sake of our Christian witness in a challenging culture, I hope for a day when Christians can unify around loving God, loving our neighbor, and then serving the vulnerable. I would hope that that would draw an amen from some of you. Thank you. You know, here's here's how I would put this. Courtesy of Aretha Franklin. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. <laughs> Jim's dancing it. Respect. That's a word that we've lost touch with. And as a result of that, that lack of respect has caused us to be increasingly divisive out there. Here's a challenging passage. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And I don't care what side of the aisle politically you would be on, when it says honor the emperor, the emperor at this time when Peter would write these words was Nero. And talk about ruthless, vile, he would exceed anybody that you can imagine by spades and Peter calls us as citizens of heaven to honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Respect everyone. I would give respect this definition that we would learn to disagree but do it agreeably. Disagree agreeably. Can I give you just a really practical illustration? There were a couple of us pastors this last week that were having a theological uh, discussion. And that discussion turned into a nice, healthy debate. And that debate drew a firm, pretty firm line. And the debate went where words started to elevate. And the, the debate stopped and there was an agreement to disagree agreeably. So much so that less than an hour ago, one of those pastors came up to me, simply an observer between this debate, and asked for my apology because of the tone of his words. Friends, that's respect. That's what it means to disagree, but do it agreeably. You see, as as citizens of the United States, we have the freedom to speak and to voice our opinion, and yet we need to learn to do that in an agreeable manner. First Peter 3 words it this way, if you are asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it, but you must do this in a gentle and respectful way. Wow. What would respect look like if we were to mark every email 
every social post, every discussion, every interchange with everyone that we interacted with, with a great big layer of respect across it. And our country would be better, wouldn't it? I think it would. Let me, let me just do something real simple to show you how easy respect could be. In this last year, there have been a number of people that have kept us safe and kept us healthy. Could I ask, if you are a first responder, police, a fire, in the fire service, or if you've served in the hospitals or in the medical profession in any way with COVID, would you just stand up right now? Would you stand up? Thank you. Chris, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Respect isn't that hard. And we are to respect not just the emperor, but Peter says, hey, we're to respect all. Our words and our actions matter. And our words, we can be right in what we say, but the manner in which we say them can be terribly wrong. So again, watch your words. Now, what's our third point? It's this. Because we have higher responsibilities, let's restore virtue. And all of these really build on each other. Let's restore virtue. I read a great book this last couple weeks by Oz Guinness. He's a, a, a theologian from England, and he writes this. In a day when followers are obsessed with rights and leaders are obsessed with power and privileges, virtue is irksome. But character and virtue is needed now more than ever to maintain the liberty that we celebrate. We need to learn how to restore virtue and character. As citizens of the United, of the United States, we have certain responsibilities. Vika's learning about these as she's learning about the rules of our land. But as citizens of heaven, we've got not just rights, we've got responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities is not only our own character, but passing on that aspect of character or virtue to the next generation. And we need to be about that. And that can have a huge influence on our nation. Again, Peter would write these words in 1 Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, that's simply talking about our, the fact that we're just tent dwellers passing through. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, as citizens of heaven, we're called to put aside our selfishness. And that's tough in this world. Our world is so me-oriented. It's so self-consuming. We're told to you do you in subtle and blatant ways. And yet this passage calls us to something far greater. Calls us to do good because we are good and that goodness only comes through Christ. Our character matters 
And we need to develop that. That's why this last week when Mary Beth and I had a chance to go watch the, the, the high school camp take place, Vika, Colin, and, and Jay, and all the staff that were up there were doing exactly this. They were pouring their life into the next generation so that next generation coming up would be men and women of character. Now, here within the church lingo, we call that discipleship. But it's simply being a good mentor that realizes the importance of character and that wants to pass that on to somebody else. And if you want some specifics, can I direct you to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11? There's a great list of attributes that talk about our character that are listed right here. And if I could read them, I will do so. Um, Peter would write this. His divine power, that's God's, has granted to us, so in other words, we don't earn this, it's given to us, it's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. That's what we're reading right here. These promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's the aspect of heaven that we have to look forward to. Having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of our sinful desires, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, if you possess them and they are increasing, in other words, they're progressing, you're getting more and more of them, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You get what he's saying there? These character qualities prove our worth as we live out who we are inside on what God has made us. For whoever lacks these qualities, these character qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a promise of heaven. And those promises are based on us exhibiting these character qualities of virtue. And it all starts with virtue. So let me summarize it up. How do we as a citizen of heaven impact our world and be a better citizen of the United States? Well, because we're of a different realm, let's reorientate our citizenship. Let's acknowledge the here and now. It's not gonna last forever. Let's anticipate the then and there, which will last forever and will be a whole lot better. And let's act on that which we believe. And because we submit to a different ruler, 
Jesus, the king of all kings, let's respect all and let's work on his behalf to break down the dividing wall of hostility that he abolished and let's work hard on unity by being respectful for one another. And because we have higher responsibilities, let's restore virtue and value character and then pass it on to the next generation. Now let me get back to Vika's statement. What do you need to do to become a citizen of heaven? Well, it's very, very simple. And I want to present it in the, in, the, in the light of what we're celebrating this week, which is our independence, by using the preamble of the Declaration of Independence as our outline. Where there we're told that our, our Creator has endowed us with certain un, inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life. Jesus would come and tell us why he came. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. One of the translations says, have it abundantly. Not just eternal life, we're promised that for sure, but the life that we can live now can be an abundant life, a life different, a life as, as we've been learning over these last few weeks in Philippians that can have joy despite what condition our world is in. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Liberty? Jesus would say, I came to set the captive free. And the imprisonment and the captivity that he's talking about is something that we all share. You see, we're all held captive by sin. We have a sin nature deep within us. And unless that captivity is broken, we're enslaved to that. There's no way that you and I will ever be able to get rid of those chains. But Jesus comes and says, I came to set that captive free. And later he would say, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's the freedom that we sang about before we started this message. So life, liberty, Jesus promises both. How about the pursuit of happiness? Well, the Bible doesn't use the word happy, but it uses a word that's better than happy. It's the word blessed. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say this, blessed are those who realize their need for God, for the kingdom of God is given to them. You understand what he, Jesus is saying there? When you understand your need for God, the kingdom of God is given to you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork to get it. You don't have to submit character references and hope they'll say the right thing about you. The only character reference that you need to depend upon is looking in complete dependence upon the one that took your sin, freed you from that, paid the penalty of your sin, Jesus. And rather than be independent as our world is today, you become a citizen of heaven simply by being dependent upon Jesus Christ. And there is no better freedom no better 
celebration you can have than that passport. So I'm gonna do something right now. I'd like to have you all bow your head, close your eyes, and I want you to examine your life right now where you are. Here in the room, or maybe you're watching outside or by way of our online, but would you just simply ask God, God, what kind of citizen am I? Not what kind of citizen am I in the US? But Father, have I had my passport radically changed to be a citizen of heaven? Simply by placing my faith and trust in you as my liberator, as the one that would pay the penalty for my sin. And Father, for the one that offers me abundant and eternal life. Father, right now there are those that you're drawing to yourself. And Father, I'd pray that at this moment, they would respond in simple, childlike faith and complete trust in you as their savior. Father, make them different as a result of the decision that you're calling them to right now. And Father, for the majority of us that are here, that are listening, God, we are already citizens of heaven and we thank you for that gift. We thank you for granting us that privilege. And Father, it would be my prayer that you would use us as citizens of heaven to be different on earth that we would relinquish our hold on this world. And Father, that we would anticipate the better home and city that you are building for us even now. Father, thank you for the certainty of heaven that you promised through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, let us be different as a result of our citizenship in heaven. For for that, we give you praise. And that is what we celebrate today. So Father, thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.